Jay Bell with the sports betting news for Tuesday. We're into the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, and there's still three number one seeds left. A ton of upsets, but the favorites, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan. The fourth favorite, Houston. Now, we know the Big Ten hasn't done well, only advancing one team. And we know the Pac-12 has done well, but how well? 9-1 straight up and 9-1 against the spread. And the Pac-12 has covered the spread by over 14 points per game. That's amazing. Everybody wants to be like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson, trying to emulate him. And also, the Dolphins wonder if they have him with Tua, and the Jets are trying to get him. It's all about Tom Brady in the NFL news. We'll cover that and more. Here comes a four-hour of the Vegas truth. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. This is Straight Out of Vegas. With the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm RJ live on a Tuesday, live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. And yes, everybody wants to be like Tom Brady. Probably me too, I'll admit it. But we got some news on Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and how they're looking at Brady's success and saying, hmm, maybe we should try to be more like that. And that's probably a good thing. Also, about 6.50 Eastern is going to be my NFL division bet of the year. And we've been really doing strong with our big, big bets. And I've got a division bet. This team will win the division. It will be my biggest of the year, even a little before 650 Eastern. And we always say 650 is where we want to do better than 50-50. Jonas doesn't like that line. I think I'll be bouncing <laughs> of it soon enough. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans listen to no more than their buddies. And he is not, yeah, we, he's not a pro, but he's the Joe, in my opinion, in L.A., Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we've got the Sweet 16 set in the NCAA tournament, we've also got some news regarding the drama and dilemma that Deshaun Watson finds himself in. But what is the Vegas lead here on this Tuesday? Let's recap the NCAA tournament. We went from our 68 down to 16, and we're going to have a chance to look ahead at the upcoming games. But let's start by recapping what's happened so far. Yeah, and we've had a bunch of upsets, as we've talked about here on Straight Out of Vegas uh, throughout the course of the tournament in the opening weekend. But the Sweet 16 is set, and despite all of the upsets, the only number one seed to be eliminated is Illinois. So we've got three of the four still remaining, along with two number twos as we get set for next weekend in the Sweet 16 round. Okay, so let's run down the favorites to start. From here onward, these are the favorites in the NCAA tournament. Gonzaga is the favorite and a borderline prohibitive favorite, plus 150. So you get a little bit more than even money back. So you got 16 teams competing, and you're getting 100 to win you 150 on Gonzaga. They are clearly the big favorite. 
and a team that was a big favorite coming into the tournament. So as much as we've seen a lot of upsets, we've seen Gonzaga um, 28-0 now, straight up on the season, but also covering the spread as a over 15-point favorite against Oklahoma yesterday. So this is a situation where they advanced, and they advanced with conviction. And I think one thing right off the go, Joan, is for us not to get fall into a trap with is what are the scenarios what are the factors that led to all these upsets and do they apply to Gonzaga and I think some do and some don't but on one hand all these upsets if anything they maybe improve the odds for the Zags meaning if the level of competition moving forward is thinned out is diminished then you're better, your odds are going to be better. But the other situation to consider is, well, the factors that led to these upsets, are they applicable to Gonzaga? So from a fan's perspective, does it feel like, oh, what this has done is just thin out the ranks and and thus the Zags are even better off? Or is it, hmm, the Zags have avoided this problem so far, but the same things that led to these other upsets apply to them also? What's your gut feeling? I think it's a wake-up call, um, and and that's why when you said you know this, if anything improves their odds, I would I would also say the same thing. John Calipari had a great quote a few years back when Kentucky had one of those real dominant teams with those one and dones, and they were the overwhelming number one seed in the tournament. And he said after a game that was kind of close for them, they asked him, "What did you tell your players?" He said, "I told them just land the plane." He's all, it's not going to be a smooth flight all the time, but just land the plane, get us there safely. And if you're Gonzaga, you didn't need to go through that in your games. You just looked around and said, oh, so that number one seed is gone, and those two number two seeds are gone, and everybody's get, and it felt like it was a wake-up call without them having to go through some of the struggles that, like, see, say, a team like Illinois went through. That's Jonas Knox. We're straight out of Vegas. You bring up a good point, though, does it fly in the face of the reality of this being an undefeated team? Because one of my theories has been, and we can harken back to the Patriots uh, with the Randy Moss year, the year they lost to the Giants, is the burden of we're still undefeated. Yeah, Yeah. we can't lose this game. That coming into, and as Fezzik has said, and he'll be here tomorrow to talk about it, he believes that the tournament being uh, played in Indiana exclusively, the state of the last undefeated champion, Indiana University in 1976 under Bobby Knight. Wow, you want to talk about a movie setting, right? It's a it's a Gonzaga, which you could say is an old school basketball program. Not that they were blue bloods, but rather they play basketball not in the one and done fashion, but kind of in the way it's quote unquote supposed to be played going in decades and decades later to Indiana to stake their claim as the next great undefeated team, it does seem movie-like. And, <laughs> and to some degree, you got to wonder, you know, I don't know if, if uh, the coach is going to measure the hoops and show their 10 feet or whatever before the finals, but, right. <laughs> but the reality is there is a, a, mis- a mystique to Indiana basketball. There's certainly a mystique to Bobby Knight's teams in that state, especially in that state. And imagine it's the final four and there's two games to go. And if they win two, they literally will go down in history. Or if they lose, it's like another 
Gonzaga team that looked good that really wasn't. Like the difference between, like think about the Patriots. When they played the Giants, if they had won, if we said who's the best team in NFL history, I think unequivocally there would have been a majority of people who said, oh, yeah, Randy Moss and the Patriots with Brady. They lose, and they're an afterthought. It's really a cautionary tale in a way. And do you believe, one, that the Indiana locale is going to work against Gonzaga? And number two, do you believe that the undefeated uh, going for that magical undefeated season, does that put more pressure on Gonzaga? And maybe that was why they never did feel lax because, hey, we know if we lose one, we're done. And that zero loss is so important. Maybe in a way they didn't need the wake-up call, but maybe it's the reverse. They've had so much stress on them, it's a negative. What do you think? Well, I think the locale is is interesting. I I just – I don't know how – I don't know how hung up on that being the last team to go wire to wire undefeated Indiana fans are right now. Ooh, where, that's all they where, got. I, I, well, I know, especially after what, what happened this year. I, I just so I don't know how much of an impact. I think it'll be fascinating television to watch if you get a basketball team that's out there trying to go perfect and you've got a group of fans who strictly went there with no rooting interest on the other side. They just wanted to see them lose. They don't care who it is. <laughs> uh, they, they don't. There's no. They just want to see them lose. So I would love to see that play out on television because I think it would be fascinating to watch. I also think if you were to ask Bill Belichick, if you had to go back and, and do it all over again, wouldn't you have just rather lost that regular season game to the Giants and then swap those? Because then yeah, we're well, talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, so I but, think. But what do you say the question is? Sorry to interrupt, but wouldn't the question be if they had lost that game, do they feel like they would have had a better chance to win yeah, the Super Bowl? I do. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and, and I and I ahead. think that benefited a team like even the '85 Bears, who were were steamrolling Miami. that loss to Miami. They never had a hiccup after that. I mean, boy, they that just was a game. I, yeah. I I was I was like you know in my early teens, but Marino, <laughs> I, I can still remember for some reason it was game thirteen, and I think it was it was right around there, and it was Monday Night Football, and it was a monster. That that yeah. was a monster, and that was almost the Super Bowl matchup again. But New, uh, Miami got upset by New England in the AFC title game. It was a major upset, and they, we would have had that play out as the rematch in the Super Bowl. Tony but, Eason. Yeah, Tony Eason ruined it. <laughs> yeah, he ruined it. Oh, uh, what but, a, I, I tell you this, though, is it goes to show you how even though sometimes it feels like there's just so many sports on today that, you know, because back in the day when there were so few games on, there really was every game felt more important. But there are those games, it doesn't matter if it's old time, it doesn't matter if it's now, that like you remember. And it's like to me, that's one of the great things about sports is sometimes it does feel disposable. It does feel like you can't really remember who won it four years ago. Yeah. You can't, you know, and but there are those signposts of fandom or of even being a fan of a sport that you just won't forget. And they're different for different people. But to me, that shared memory is one of the great things about sports. And we sometimes focus is, you know, I think too much or it's always a trade-off, right? The money and, and the fandom and we're not a fan show. Uh, you play that role for us in a, in a good way, but 
I do think sometimes we got to give it an extra five minutes to wrap our arms around the joy and the passion of it all. I, I love making money, but there's something beyond that sometimes. And, and it kind of reminded me of we might have that moment in the final four with the Zags. And I guess one question I'd ask you, a guy who watches and, and is, is more about perceiving what's happening than the numbers every time, did you feel like the fans against Gonzaga, was there any sense of were they against them? And it's going to be different each round because the ticket allotments are different. But what was your perception of how the fans were with the Zags? Yeah, I didn't think there was any sort of negativity towards it. I think overwhelmingly everybody was just happy to have the tournament back. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah. yeah I, I didn't feel like we were all – it's like even you're watching uh, Loyola, Chicago, Illinois. Of course, people that had Illinois winning winning it all, they were you know bummed out and, <laughs> and they were freaking out about it and burning their brackets. But but it didn't feel – it was almost like, yeah, man, that sucks. But it's so much better to have a bracket busted in the round of 32 than not to have one at all like we had last year. So I, so I, I, that's why I'm curious to see how it plays out this next weekend because now the newness has worn off and now we're down yeah. to 16 teams and now you can really hone in on, on who's left remaining. And I think maybe that's when sort of the, the Indiana bias might creep up, which would be a lot of fun. Oh, and as it gets closer to the Final Four, I think yes. especially. And like – on the Sopranos, Tony, you know, he almost died. And then when he got shot and then it was like he came back and he goes, every day is a gift is what he said initially. And then right. a couple of weeks later to Melfi, he said, yeah, every day is a gift. But does it always have to be a pair of socks? And it was like it was boring. Like, it was a gift, but it's kind of gotten boring now. And I think that's human nature. It's like when you have the flu, you know, like the old, you know, the normal flu. And then it's like. You're like, if I could just feel normal again, I would. That's that's all I would want, right? <laughs> and then once you feel normal again, it's like two days later, you're like, man, when's that electric bill going to go down? Or whatever you're complaining about, it, it, it's just human nature. And in a weird way, it's it, it's what keeps us moving forward. The more content we were, I think, as a uh, as a civilization, the less ambition we'd have. And in, in, in a way, all the things that seem uh, I guess problematic or like we don't ever appreciate what we got is why we keep trying to get more, which in its way is why we, you know, have moved forward as a society so much. I'm RJ Bell straight out of Vegas. Last thing on the NCA for now, and we'll get into the previews here tomorrow and the next day. Pac twelve, nine and one straight up, nine and one against the spread, covering the spread by over fourteen points a game. That is almost incomprehensible to say if Vegas would have taken every game, moved it by 14 points to the Pac-12 team, to then say that the Pac-12 would have met expectations. I, I mean, think about it. That's a, in 10 games, it's 140 points. The Pac-12 has exceeded expectation. Now, that's like a full game. Right, 140 yeah. of uh, uh, both teams. So it's like literally two games. I mean, if you think about it, yeah. it's two games worth. They played 10 games and they scored about two additional games worth of points if the other team didn't score any <laughs> to get that far ahead. It's like it's just not possible almost. Yeah. Like if you would have given me the odds, what's the odds the Pac 12 is going to have an uh, ATS margin of 140 points combined? I would have bet you my house versus a thousand bucks. And I mean, it, like the odds were, you know, 300 to one, 500 to one, whatever it was, it was it was this Pac-12 performance is extreme in the extreme. Now, the Big Ten doing poorly, that's extreme, but not near as much. This is, I think the Pac-10 doing poorly is the bigger story. 
out there nationally, out there with the general media, from a Vegas perspective, the Pac-12 doing so well is even less likely because it's so extreme. Eyeball test, one thought, and we'll keep talking about it. Why do you think that was? What did you see in the Pac-12 that led to this? I don't see. I've been trying to think about that as well, and I and and one of the conclusions, or not conclusions, but one of the things that I've thought, just especially after seeing what Oregon did to Iowa, and then you saw, you know, uh, what USC did to Kansas, and obviously Kansas, you know, had their issues and all that. But could it be something as simple as maybe people didn't really watch as much Pac-12 basketball this year? as they did the Big Ten, and therefore we sort of underestimated them because we weren't paying as much attention to the Pac-12 because, you know, they're, they're, everybody's talked about a Pac-12 bias, a West Coast bias. They're focusing on the Midwest and the East Coast. So, so when, some- you say, when you say West Coast, you mean a bias against them? Yeah, just that they, maybe they weren't paying attention to the Pac-12. Maybe there mm. were some residual effects from, from the football season, like, ah, oh, it's the Pac-12. Don't worry. Don't take them seriously. Yeah, here we are, and they've got the most teams in the, in the, the remaining 16 of any Power 5 conference conference. So I just wonder if it's something as simple as that. Well, let's take our first break. When we come back, we'll do one thing at the front, which is we've got a history on how number one seeds in the Pac-12 have done versus the other conferences. We're going to touch on that quickly to answer Jonas's question, because what it's going to tell you is there's a reason there was pessimism about the Pac-12, at least historically. And we'll get to this whole Tom Brady being emulated by Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. What exactly did they see in Brady that they're trying to emulate? themselves next. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. If you speak out against the words and the heavens go I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a look at a couple of quarterbacks trying to emulate one Tom Brady. So, Jonas, we don't have this plan, but I'm going to ask you as I'm transitioning here to think about, is there one thing that you use in your life that you think that most people don't use but it's like, oh, my God, is it good if you only used it? Like a water pick. It could be, um, <laughs> you know, like a space. Like I've got a little one drink refrigerator in the bedroom, whereas I can put one cold water in there. And it's like at night, instead of having to walk all the way downstairs, you know, like what is that? Because I've got one of those that I just discovered. It's called a copper cup. I've never, I love cold soda, like, you know, Coca-Cola, whatever, Pepsi. And I've never had one of these, you know, copper cups and someone bought it for us. And if you put an ice cube in it, it gets the whole thing cold, like in 30 seconds. I've never seen anything like copper cup, copper cup is awesome. Now, what is your kind of Jonas thing? So you can ponder that. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. The audience has doubled in the last year plus. We thank you so much for the support, and we're going to keep working extra hard. It's a great day to join us. And one of the things we'll talk about right now quickly is that whole Pac-12 concept. So Jonas said, hey, maybe Pac-12, maybe they've been ignored because of the football season. Maybe they snuck up on us. 
Maybe, but if you look back in history now, how have the number one seeds done since 2000? So since this century, when there's been an ACC top seed, how do they do? A Pac-12 top seed, how do they do? That kind of stuff. Now, the average Big Six power conference, so we do the normal Power Five plus the Big East, which is big in basketball, and we said there's been 72 number one seeds from those conferences this century before this season and the average number of wins was 3.3 so you think about it, it's two wins to get to the sweet 16 three wins gets you the elite eight so they're about a third of the way between the elite eight and the final four that's the average power six historically number one seed so the best one of those actually was a tie between or actually through almost a, a three-way tie ACC, Big Ten, and SEC are all right between right around 3.8 wins, so about a half a win more, almost you know almost to the Final Four. So think about that. This century, Jonas, if the ACC or the Big Ten or the SEC had a number one seed, they almost got on average to the Final Four, which is impressive, no doubt about it. The worst has been the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has only averaged 2.3 wins. They've had nine number one seeds prior to this year. They've had literally only 2.3 wins. So if the average is 3.3, that means on average the other power six, the other five big conferences win an additional game more than the Pac-12 does when it comes to their number one seed. So, you know, history tells us that the Pac-12, if dismissed this year, at least in this regard, it's fairly warranted. But boy, this year is a different story. And what's fascinating, last thing on this, is if you look at just Gonzaga as they've been a number one seed, the Zags have been a number one seed three times before this year. And in 2013, they won one game, so that was an underperformance. In 17, they won five games, they lost in the finals. And then in 19, they won three games. So if you add it up, Gonzaga has done better than an average number one seed from a power conference in these three appearances as a number one seed before this year. And the last two they won an average of four games, five and three, which is way above average. So if anything, you would say, oh, the Zags are a non-power five, not non-power six, but they're kind of a one-team power conference. And when they've gotten a number one seed, they've overperformed. And so far, they've you know won the two games this year. And, uh, oh, we got to do the temperature. Here in Vegas on the Strip, it's 61 degrees, and the neon is chugging. Now, there's been some discussions about a possible restructuring of uh, Aaron Rodgers' contract in Green Bay. That has not happened yet. And then we've also got Russell Wilson trying to exercise his power and leverage to get some personnel control, which seems very similar to one quarterback who just won his seventh Super Bowl. Yeah, to me, it just shows you, well, Brady, when you have the true greats in any field, oftentimes the way they exert the most influence is by being emulated by people saying, hey, that's the way to win. Let's do that. It might be uh, like LeBron and his concern for his body and having you know millions of dollars he spends on trying to upkeep his body. If it's weightlifting back in the day, all these different things where that was the first guy to do it. 
And what has Brady done? It seems like what we know Brady did even back in New England is he said, hey, I'm willing to say I'll take 22 million instead of 28 million. And with that extra 6 million, we can upgrade two positions. And everyone says, oh, yeah, that's easy when you have a a billionaire supermodel or a hundred millionaire supermodel wife. And that maybe, right? Maybe. Though, to some degree, to say, yeah, you know, that 150 million Russell Wilson made or, or Aaron Rodgers isn't enough. He, you know, if only he had a wife that had 100 million, he could really, you know, come on. Either winning's important or it's not. And I get to the idea that it's kind of unfair, you could say, to expect people to do that. But in a weird way, it's like, well, you don't have to do it. It's just like you don't have to eat avocado ice cream. But the people who do set, tend to do better. And what we see with Aaron Rodgers is a restructuring effort. I guess my question to you, Jonas, is looking at the numbers, and I don't know how deep he dug, I think the thing Brady's getting kind of a lot of love for that I think is unwarranted this year is for him to restructure, it was he added another year. So remember, Belichick was pretty much willing to pay Brady from all reports about the same as Tampa Bay, but it was going to be for one year. Where New England, that second year, which would be starting this upcoming year, is what Belichick balked at. So Brady was very focused on making it to 45 because the theory was that was what he had set as a goal, the TB12, yeah. and for the rest of his life, he can say played you know high-level quarterback in the NFL to age 45, and that, that could make him, who knows what, hundreds of millions of dollars in business. It's going to be a valuable branding piece for sure. In this restructuring of Brady, they moved him, gave him an additional third year. My understanding is it was about $25 million. So to go from one year with Belichick to initially two years with Tampa to now three years with Tampa, not saying he didn't earn it. But what I'm saying is this restructuring that saved them money this year on the cap, the Bucks, it really helped Brady. It effectively put another $25 million in his pocket. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but it wasn't some selfless act. If anything, it was a net win for Brady, even beyond the win for the team. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I mean, it's not like he took the league minimum. You know, I mean, he's still making a a good amount of money. And it also, to your point on the TB12 stuff, it would behoove him to play as long as possible because he can then, after his career is over, say, look, you want to know why I lasted so long? Look at my TB12 products that are out. Like this, just no doubt. This this does benefit him as much as people can say it benefits the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I would say it benefits Tom Brady more because it helps him currently while he's playing, and then afterwards because he can point back to how long he lasted, and he can point to and attribute it to his TB12 brand. And let's be clear. We in no way begrudge him that. We in no way no. think. But what we're saying is he's done things in the past, Brady, that were strictly for the team. That it right. didn't, Other than winning, there was no benefit to Brady. Other than increasing the chance to win, there was no benefit to Brady. This is one in which he's getting a sack. Let's be candid. It's very unlikely that in 2022 that Brady's going to be worth a $25 million quarterback salary. Now, he could be, because I thought it was unlikely he'd be worth it this year, to be honest. So he's, he's, um, he's proven wrong every detractor. Fezzik at the front of that list, 
<laughs> and, you know, Fezzik's had him, you know, hitting the wall for eight years. And the reality is he is uh, one of a kind when it comes to longevity. And you and you got to just rationally think TB12, I mean, is it random that he's the one, a guy that had a pudgy body relative to other NFL players coming in is now the only one that can last this long? I mean, there's got to be something to it, in my opinion. So, I mean, I've got his book. I haven't read the whole thing yet. <laughs> so, I mean, but I get it. It convinced me enough to buy it. But to me, this time... He benefits. If, if to me, if there was no benefit to Tampa Bay this year on the cap from Brady signing this contract, I think Brady still would have signed it. Because to get that third year guaranteed, you know, this year and then that next year, is something that he's been fixated on. That's what the main beef with New England's been. So, to me, this is great. And Aaron Rodgers is learning the right lesson. But... I don't think this year Brady deserves as much credit as in prior years. Now, let's transition to Russell Wilson. I think this is a, a bad precedent. And here's why. is I think that Brady's success with Tampa wasn't because he got to pick the players. It was because the players, there were a handful that were willing to come play with him at a discount. Or maybe in Gronk's case, he wouldn't have played at all. And in fact, you would have to think he wouldn't have. If, if Brady had retired before last year, I think it's a very small chance Gronk would have played anywhere. So if Russell Wilson has the ability to get someone in there that wouldn't go any other place or would only go to a handful of places, Russell Wilson in Seattle's one of them, great. But getting to decide who the center is or getting to decide who they draft, that's something Brady's never done. And I was listening to uh, Get Up to, or watching Get Up today, and they were talking about, like, well, what should Seattle do to please Russell Wilson? And the answer was, I think it was uh, Orlowski said, um, he goes, well, they should do whatever he wants. If they do, if, if he wants something, they should do it because nothing is more important than keeping Russell Wilson happy. Yeah. And you know what? I probably agree with that last statement, meaning that of all the things Seattle could do this offseason, the thing that could hurt the team the most is if they, they, if they disgruntle Russell Wilson. If, if Russell Wilson's mad and doesn't want to play for Seattle, that probably hurts Seattle more than any other single thing could hurt him. And the flip side is if Russell Wilson is engaged and happy, then that helps them more than any single thing could help them. But that doesn't mean that there's no limit to what you'll do to please him because there are certain things you could do that would please him that would hurt the rest of the team and the team concept itself in a way that was even bigger than Russell Wilson leaving would hurt him. And I think the minute comes where there's no limit. It's one thing to say, take him seriously, hear him out, right? There's a bunch of business books written about how do you let the team members, the employees feel like they got a voice, but not let them feel like they're running the ship because they can't run the ship. That's why you have executives and to me, where is that balance? I don't know, but I know that uh, making them mad like they did to Deshaun Watson for no reason, not a smart move, but by the same token, acting like Russell Wilson would have any market as a GM right now is absurd. He wouldn't, so why should he act like the GM? And if you're just placating him and saying, oh, yes, thanks, Russell, it's like having a little kid walk up with their plan for, like, hey, we're going to build a new house. Well, what do you think, Johnny? And Johnny comes to the house, it's got like a rocket ship on top of it or whatever, <laughs> and they take it and they say, yes, Johnny, good job. We'll consider these facts. 
actors. Is, is that the way that they want Russell Wilson treated? Because to me, that is uh, uh, that is disrespect. Yeah, I think you, I, go ahead. Well, I just I, I don't understand the idea that, you know, oh, they should do whatever he wants. OK, well, they did do whatever he wants. They, they chose him over all these longtime veterans on defense, all these big personalities. They've given him two contracts like they, it's not like they haven't made moves to try and help the team. They traded away first round picks to pick up Jamal Adams. They signed Carlos Dunlop like this idea that they, they just have let him out there to figure it out on his own. I just I, I, I don't understand it. And you know what this is? You, you make such a good point because I think if I was a Russell Wilson fan listening to you, I would say, well, he's, they signed the second contract because they felt like it was best for the team. And I agree with that. And they also made a decision for Russell Wilson over the, 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 the defensive guys that were against some of his ways or whatever. That was also best for the team. So I, I don't think they should necessarily get a ton of credit for that. I think it was their decision, though Russell Wilson should feel good that was what they decided to me, the problem here is the idea that once it starts, where does it stop? Yeah. Because they did trade, you know, uh, they have a guard they added. They got a new center. It seems like that the whole idea on Dan Patrick right here on FSR of getting hit too much, they've taken seriously. And instead of saying, okay, Russell should be happy, now it's like, oh, we've seen weakness. They're willing to do that. Well, it, now you should do this, this, and this. And then once you're done with that, I'll have another list for you. And the absurdity of all of it is, is that Seattle is the second winningest team, the second winningest team during the Russell Wilson era in the entire NFL behind the Patriots, who also don't seem to give much say to what players think about personnel. So in general, this idea that Seattle's backwards or behind or not very good as a front office or as a coach, that's absurd. And to me, that you, the only coach ever to win the NCAA title and a Super Bowl. I mean, it's hard to say Pete Carroll's not a good coach, but that's where we've entered into that universe that the player knows and the coaches are dumb. And to me, that's absurd. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Straight Out of Vegas here on Fox Sports Radio. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, RJ Bell. Take our last break. Up next, we'll keep it simple. This is my NFL division bet of the year for free. Up next. And he's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox, and this is the pregame show you've always wanted, and it's money making time next here on Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. And R.J., you have been promoting your pick, your division lock. You've got it set for the NFL this season, and now it's time to make some people some money. Now listen, some could say this is superfluous, me saying this, but I think it's informing the audience of what you're going to get here. Just recently, we said, hmm, we like the Phoenix Suns at 12-1 to 1 to win the Pacific. How do you think? Uh, I don't even know, Mackenzie. Have we checked those pregame.com research? Have we checked the update yes, on the? Ma- th- Mark and I are checking every fifteen minutes. They are not posting those odds. We are thinking it's going to be something like Suns minus one fifty at this point. So right now, you think the Suns, like at even money, you think a minimum would be a good bet? I think so. 
I mean, the Suns the last uh, <laughs> 30 games are 25 and five. I think it is best record in the NBA, and we at 12 to one had it. What's it been? It's only been like two and a half, three weeks ago, and then you could say, well, Harden we had it 30 to one. And then Harden's down to what? About 8-1, to one, I think, right now to win the MVP. And also we could say, hmm, we've got our, though, remember, the NCAA tournament, there's still three number ones left. There's a way to lose this, but we've got over the sum of the seeds in the Final Four. You add the four up, over 10.5. So it only takes one interloper in there and we'll be fine. Here it is. This is my N, or my NFL division bet of the year. On the Washington football team at three to one to win the East. It's my opinion that the if the true odds on this are about forty mm, percent for Washington, forty percent for Dallas, twenty percent mixed between the Giants and the Eagles. Giants and the Eagles are way back there. Eagles are way back. The Eagles are rebuilding. This is a lost season. This isn't about Justin Herbert, good or bad. This is a lost season for Philly. Let's get that part straight. Number two, the Giants, they've made some signings. Galladay, oh, looks like a big signing. They signed a bigger uh, cornerback recently. Eh, that's good. But they this is a team that was a little overrated last year, and Daniel Jones is not the answer in my opinion. Dallas is Dallas, and they should be right up there as a favor with Washington, no doubt about it. But I think one, you got to wonder, Dak signing here, you got to wonder how far back he is with this injury. Is he a little less? Uh, Dallas doctors had uh, insight. He was training there, but you just never know how he's feeling. And let's be candid, the rest of the team's a mess right now. The defense has a new defensive coordinator. There's no, and Dallas has an under 500 record the last two years with Dak. The key to this is not that we think Washington should be some huge favor. You're getting three to one. 100 wins you 300. And to me, it's all about Fitzpatrick. Colin right here on FSR, the herd, he thinks Fitzpatrick was a horrible signing. In my opinion, amongst the quarterbacks that have been available, we're not talking about Watson, we're not talking about Russell Wilson. Fitzpatrick was the best fit for Washington. They had other good free agent signings, and we're getting to fade the Cowboys. So, best bet to win the NFC East, Washington football team, Three to one. If you missed any of today's show, you can check out the podcast at foxsportsradio.com. Just search for Straight Out of Vegas. We are back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. And as always, you can check out the show on the iHeartRadio app.